Take your Bibles tonight and go to Philippians, please. One of the things that is occurring in so many of the lives of people across our country is a building of fear within people. A fear to the end that you just can't trust God to take care of your needs daily. That you've got to think way ahead and you've got to lay up way ahead and you've got to prepare way ahead. And this type of fear that has, has been building for many years is increasing with tremendous alacrity at this time. That fear and the fear that the rottenness of our political system is of such great nature that there is no hope left that you can salvage it. Tonight I want to teach you the word, and if it's true what God's word says, and enough people believe this and practice what I'm going to teach, you not only can get rid of that fear about being so concerned about tomorrow, but you can get rid of the fear that our country can come back to the accuracy of God's word and that people in political positions just don't use the Bible as a vote getter, but that they literally believe it and live it. In the 14th verse of this great third chapter, there is a, a truth that you just have to drive in your mind, and that is that you press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling, the word high is the word upward, calling of God in Christ Jesus. All men, all women in their walk in life are always pressing for something. You're always headed someplace, there's a goal, there's an object in view. You just have to make up your mind which object, what prize are you really setting. For those of us in the way ministry who represent the integrity and the greatness of God's word in our day and time, who believe that the word of God is the will of God, that it means what it says and says what it means, for us, our prize is the upward calling. That's what we press on toward. That's the innermost drive and desire of our heart. He says in the opening verse of this third chapter, finally, my brethren, rejoice in what? The Lord. You just have to rejoice in the Lord. You can't rejoice in a lot of things with which we're surrounded, the negatives with which we're engulfed by the periodicals, the news media, or anything else. We've got to rejoice in the Lord. And the only way you're ever going to rejoice in the Lord is keep your head in the Word. You gotta study the word, you gotta read the word, you gotta put on this word of God in your mind. Otherwise you're going to be rejoicing in the rest of the stuff you're reading, listening to, or looking at. Rejoice in the Lord. And when you go on down this 
chapter in here, you will see a tremendous background that this man, apostle, the Apostle Paul had. You know, circumcised the eighth day, fifth verse, blue blood, stock of Israel. He was invited to all the social gatherings. Tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrew, touching the law. He was top brass of Pharisee. And concerning zeal, that's dynamic enthusiasm. Boy, persecuting the church, he had it. He believed in what he was doing. Like the word of God says, every man's right in his own eyes, the Lord judges the motives. But, verse 7. Finally, he got to that place where those things that were gained to him, he counted loss to get something better. And the better was Christ. And he says in verse 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is true, the faith of Christ, the pistis of Christ, the believing of Christ, the righteousness which is of God. By faith is not in the Aramaic text. Be found in him having, not having my own what? Righteousness. But having the righteousness of God which we receive through Christ Jesus. Then look at verse 10. That I may know him. Not question, not doubt, but that I may know. K-N-O-W. That I may know him. And the power, the power, the power that's in that resurrection. That I may know this. Now the word know here is to know it by experience. It just isn't the running off of the mouth. It's just not quoting it as a retemory. It is living it as a reality. That I may know him. May know him. And the power, the power, the power. That's in that resurrection. That came with Christ in you. The hope of glory. Boy. Look at verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In other words, what you have in Christ Jesus, he says is what he is wanting to share with others, that I may apprehend that for which also I was apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting 
the literal translation of that word that's used there, and these words you will find in other translations, refuting or declaring null and void those things which are behind and reaching forth or reaching out unto those things which are before. Look at the fantastic truth in that verse. One thing, one thing, one thing I do. Forgetting that which is past. Those things which are behind. Declaring those things null and void. Refuting those things which are past. Most of the fear that comes up in people's lives basically is due to the carryover of the things of the past into the present. Things that occurred today, yesterday, ten years ago. They keep bringing them up to the present. And they live in today what occurred then. The word of God says, you've got to declare that stuff null and void. One thing I do, forgetting those things that are the past, declaring them null and void. I like that declaring null and void, because you can't always forget, but you can sure put the X through it. You can cancel it out. You can't always forget. It's sort of neat when you think that thing through, because the word, the psalmist, remember, Psalm 103 is, who forgiveth all thine, forgiveth all thine, he forgets someplace in one of the Psalms. It says that God forgets our iniquities. When you're born again of God's spirit and you have remission of sins. He casts your sin from you as far as the east is from the west and as deep as the deepest sea. And he will remember them what? That's forgetfulness. He forgets them. Praise the Lord, he never asked us to always forget. I know what I was thinking. Thanksgiving, forget not all his benefits. God didn't ask us to remember them all. He just asked us to remember to, to not forget them all. Forget not all his benefits. Who of us tonight could think of all the benefits we've had even this day or this week from God? God, when he forgives, he forgets. But man can't always forget. Things that have happened in the past, but you can declare those things of the past null and void in your life. You can say, look, I refuse to have that stuff on me any longer. Sure, I know it happened. I know I did it. Anyone with a better record than Philippians chapter 3 regarding the persecution of the church? He was top brass. He cast his vote against Stephen, which means... He voted in favor of his execution, his death. He went everywhere into the Jerusalem area, hailing men and women, taking them 
out of their homes where they were worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and the true God, he bound them and brought them to prison. If he can, by God's mercy and by God's grace, do what this word of God says he did and is doing, I am confident that you and I can do it. Not a, one, not a person in here has done to other Christians what Paul did to the Christians in his time. That's right. I never voted in favor of killing a Methodist yet. <laughs> or a Presbyterian or somebody else, Buddhist. I never vote. I never cast my vote for that. Paul did. You see, I think dead people many times get halos around them. You forget they were human. Man, he was so humanly human, he was way out in left field with his humanism. The boy thought he was right. Yet, he could write by divine revelation and he lived it. When he said, forgetting those things, declaring those things null and void that are what? Past. Now, maybe a lot of people in that day didn't allow it to be passed. I'll venture they were just like they are today. Whenever they had a chance to needle Paul, they'd come along and say, what makes you so good? Don't you remember what you did? Yeah. Because human nature basically has not changed. And I can just see that whole picture, you know. Paul's really laying the word out there and then some squeaky comes up afterwards <laughs> and says, yeah, you're a fine fellow to talk. You're a dandy. Yeah. He declared it null and what? Because of what God wrought in him through Christ Jesus. And that same God and that same Christ Jesus is in us. And we are in him. Therefore, people, you've just got to declare those things that are past null and void. If you don't, you'll just be as negative as the rest of the world. You'll be as emaciated as defeated, as frustrated, as full of fear as they are. And you'll feel condemned all your lifetime. When the word of God says there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are what? It's all past. It's over with. That past, you have to declare null and void. That's why... You press toward the mark. You press toward the mark of that upward calling. Upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, spiritually born again of God's spirit where there's neither Jew nor Greek, be thus minded. That's where our mind. And if anyone be otherwise minded, God shall reveal that so he can get right on with it too. That's why tonight I want to go to chapter 4. He closes that whole third chapter talking about 
the gathering together. Therefore, therefore, takes it all the way through from the time of the new birth in chapter 3, all the way through to the gathering, the coming of the Lord. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in what? The Lord. We've got to stand fast on God's word, no matter what the circumstances are on the outside. No matter what the world declares, no matter what they say, we have to stand fast on the word. And to stand fast on the word is to stand fast in the Lord, because the word of God makes known the will of God. It's the only way we can do it. In the midst of our times... In the midst of our culture, in the midst of everything with which we're surrounded and engulfed, we have to just stand fast in the Lord. And we have to be of the same mind in verse 2, like he said to those fellows. And in verse 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. You do not rejoice in the banker or the politician or the religious leader. You rejoice in what? The Lord. The Lord is the strength of my life. See, it's the Lord who is our shield and our buckler. That's why we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in Him. You not only stand fast, but rejoice. And by the way, you can't rejoice until you first joy. The re is the second time, at least, of joy. That's right. (laughs) Like Merkel's had their little boy. If it had been twins, they could have named them like Peter or something. And for short, call him Pete, and his nickname for the other one could have been Repeat uh, or something. But... You can't, you can't rejoice until you first joy. So rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, what? Rejoice. People become discouraged and downcast because something else occupies their mind and their thinking rather than the Lord and the Word of God. So they do not joy in the Lord. Therefore they can't rejoice. Let your forbearance, the moderation is the word forbearance in verse 5. Let your forbearance be known unto all men. The Lord's at hand. Be careful, and the word careful is the word anxious. We ought to be careful for a lot of things. Very careful about a lot of things. But the word careful is not careful in the text, it's anxious. Be anxious for nothing. When you're anxious, you have anxiety. You're biting your fingernails up to the first knuckle. That's anxious. Be anxious for what? Nothing. No reason for that anxiety. No reason for it whatsoever. Because we stand fast in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. Therefore, Be anxious for nothing. Now that does not mean you do not plan. That does not mean you do not pre-think. That does not mean that 
you never lay your your procedures in advance. It just says don't be anxious about it. Don't be, have an anxiety regarding regarding it. Allow the word of God to dwell in you richly so that you do not need to be anxious. Sure, you have to plan. The word of God says so. Even before you build a house, you're supposed to do it, it says. Even consider the cost in the Gospels. That I know, that you know too. Stupid to think, well, don't have planned nothing. God's going to give me food tomorrow no matter what I do. Go right ahead. You starve death for all I care. <laughs> think. That's right. Because, you see, that breaks another part of the Word of God. You have to know the whole Word of God. You can't set one piece of the Word of God over against another one. It's all God's Word, and we have to apply the principles of all of it. But here is sort of like a, a great summation, a synthesis of the whole thing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto whom? God. It does not say, let my requests be made known unto a lot of other people. People who have the ability to help me. People who have the ability to influence other people in other positions who could help me. It says... Let my request be made known to whom? That's the walk of believing. Suppose we put our confidence and our trust in men to help. If those men should die, if they should be hurt, something happened to them, then what happens to us? Should they change their mind about me or you? Then what happens? If we put our trust in them, we're on the skids. Because they pull it out from under us. But if we put our trust in the Lord, and we pray, let our prayers be made known to Him, by the requests we have, and that request is a positive thanksgiving. Remember how I teach in the foundational class that I cannot really pray the prayer Jesus Christ taught to his apostles and disciples. Because he taught them to pray, give us this day our what? Daily bread. In the church epistles, he said that he would supply all of our need in verse 19 of this chapter. According to his riches. In glory by whom? Christ Jesus. He, he promised to supply all of our need. One of my needs would be daily what? He's already promised to supply it. Therefore, I cannot pray, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Because he's already said he's going to do it. So it's, Requests with thanksgiving. Many times I feel we ought to do a series of teachings on prayer. Maybe we'll get around to it sometime. Because so many times Christians 
pray outside of the will of God meaning well, but sincerity or meaning well is no criteria for truth. And God cannot meet a request in prayer if it's contrary to his will, to his word, because his word is his will. He said in here it is to be a request with thanksgiving. It is therefore not a question of, Lord, give us this day our what? But it is a prayer of saying, Father, I thank you for supplying my daily bread today. See the difference? That's really significant. So many of our prayers are like begging God. Lord, please take care of Maggie Muggins' toothache. Or take care of Henry's toes. Or take care of somebody else's problem. No, with thanksgiving. Father, I thank you for already in Christ Jesus having met the need of Mary or Herman or Beth. See the difference? That's what he's talking about. Let your requests be made known unto whom? God. Who was that fellow that did those great orphanages in in Great Britain? We have the book in the library, the core library. George Mueller. George Mueller would not allow anybody to be told that they had a need. They brought it into their little prayer group, into their twig meeting. They prayed together about it, but they never allowed anybody Outside to know. And all through those years, George Mueller, in those orphanages uh, in Bristol, a little English girl sitting up here, just had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children he took care of without asking anybody for five cents. That's American terminology, the five cents. Half penny. That's English. On one occasion that I caught, recall in my mind, having read the book many years ago, always still vividly in my mind, on how one of the fellows who had worked with him for two or three years, and by that time, you ought to be able to trust him pretty good, I guess. They had no food for breakfast to supply to the children. And they were gathered together to pray, thanking God that the food would be there. And I think it was either three or five minutes before time, before the hour, that this friend, the worker, a fellow worker, with George Mueller complained and he said, well, I just don't think it's going to be here. And George Mueller dismissed him from the staff. He said, if you cannot believe God till the last second, you can't believe him at any other time. So he released him as a staff member. By the way, the food was there about five seconds before the hour. Two big trucks drove up and they had the food in it. Thought of this story the other day at Emporia. It was neat. You know, we got the greatest photographers in the way ministry. 
except when things are great, they don't have their camera. <laughs> I saw a fella coming across the campus, had a smile a mile wide, typical way grad, uh, <laughs> beautiful, and he had a, a big old bag, paper bag. Uh, I, I forget the, what, what the name was on the outside, but the kind you put, you know, when you have a big bag of potatoes, that's the kind of bag it was, big. Had his arm around it like this, just coming, strutting across. And he walked up to me. He said, you want a donut? <laughs> he had that whole bag full of donuts. And <laughs> other goodies that... The person across the road from the White College of Emporia had given to him because they hadn't sold it. So put it all in his big bag, and here he was coming, just proud as could be, bringing that bag along and offering everybody donuts. <laughs> I got so blessed, and when I saw that, uh, this, this British thing hit my mind, I thought, God's supply is a... We so limit God at times. Oh, now, if you just wanted those donuts freshly baked a half hour ago, still hot, you would have never taken them. But they were beautiful donuts. They just weren't baked an hour ago. They were leftovers for the day. Well, so what? He carried him his big old bag, and a lot of kids got blessed. I don't know when he ran out of donuts. Maybe the Lord kept supplying it like wine. I don't know. <laughs> but I really got blessed to see him do it. And, of course, I wasn't hungry at all, but I did take one because I thought he'd bless him if I did. So I took one. I don't recall if Mrs. Werwell did or any of the rest of them. He got them all as he came across campus. And I went one place, and a fellow had really helped himself, took his hat off, his cap off, and filled his cap up with the donuts. And then I thought to him that hath shall be given, and if the fellow has too much, he'll be taken away. <laughs> oh, shoot. Let your request be made known unto whom. Man, that takes believing, because we have been so schooled we got to tell everybody. we got to do all the work. We can't, you know, we just can't imagine God could supply anything. That God could talk to someone down outside of Bristol some way and say, look, get that stuff loaded. They need it at 7 o'clock down there at the orphanage. George needs it. Right. Well. Isn't that beautiful? Let your request be made known unto whom? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Maybe I ought to teach this Wednesday night before thanksgiving. It's like Walter said, every day is a day of thanksgiving. But I like that special service once a year. i really thankful to God that I, in our country we're setting that day aside. Although most people may not understand it, some of us do, and I'm still grateful for at least the token of it. And like Walter told you, here at International on that Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, we're going to have a dandy service, boy. Just praise the Lord. 
and bless God's people. We got a lot to be thankful for. You know what's going to happen to you then? Verse 7, peace of God's going to ruin your heart. So if you want the peace of God to rule, that peace of God which rules in your heart, which passes all understanding, that peace of God that shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, you'd be anxious for nothing. Joy and rejoice in the Lord. Stand fast. And that peace of God, that peace of God, God's peace will be there. And God's peace is an inside job manifested in your life by renewing your mind. To say to yourself, I am what the Word of God says I am. I have what the Word of God says I have. I have the peace of God. I've got it. Therefore, I'm peaceful. And that peace of God passes all understanding. Passes a lot of misunderstanding, too. But uh, here it says it passes all understanding. It simply means that it is impossible to describe it or define it in detail. It just passes beyond the understanding, that peace of God. The quietness, the serenity in your life. The absolute way in which you have it together that you just know. It passes understanding. But the peace of God shall keep, shall keep your hearts. Keep your hearts, it shall keep it and your mind through Christ Jesus, what he wrought for you. And then he says, verse 8, finally. Yes, finally, brethren. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest or venerable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think these things. You condition your life by what you think. Be anxious for what? Nothing. Be strong in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Make your prayer requests known with thanksgiving. Think, think, think on these things. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Our actions are conditioned by our thinking. What we think, we will manifest sooner or later. Maybe not the first second, but it will be there. And people, it's just as easy to think positively as it is to think negatively. But because we have been brought up in a negative environment with negative surroundings where about everybody we've ever talked to is always presenting things from the negative side. We've become so acclimatized to the negative that we thought that was the normal, natural way to live. When the truth is, it is not natural, it's unnatural. The natural way 
the most wonderful way to live is God's way. And there you adjust your thinking according to what God says. Think that which is what? True. Don't think that which is a lie or a counterfeit. Think about the things that are venerable or honest. Think about the things that are just. Think about that which is pure. Think about the things that are lovely. Think about straight A's. Good report. It, you know, the world, it's so, we've been so acclimatized to always think the other side. You see a situation and immediately you could negatively interpret it because of your background, your training and all the rest of people do. But on the other hand, with a staid mind on the word of God, you could think positive. You get a phone call. You could say, well, you know, what that old stupid fool want again? On the other hand, you could think, well, isn't it wonderful he's calling? Maybe he's got a gift he wants to share with the outreach of God's word. Many times the difference is like the fellow who sees the glass half full and the other one sees it half empty. I'd rather go with the man who sees it half full and the fellow sees it half empty. That's right. Because he's at least positive about it if it's half full. You see, it's just as easy to think good thoughts as it is bad about people. And there's a lot, there are a lot of lovely things about people. A lot of things that are pure, just, honest, venerable. Men like Paul. He had some great characteristics. I know it's a, it's a different walk. The reason it's so different is because we've been brought up so on the negative side and on the wrong side. Haven't been brought up on the word of God to think that which is right and true and honest and lovely and pure about people. The first general natural reaction of every man is to think that which is contrary to this which I've just read from verse 8. We think how dishonest people are. We think how impure it is. How negative they are. You know, how the situation is all off. You can think positively just as well as you can negatively. He says if there's to be any praise, think on these things. Control your thinking and you control your life. If you don't control your thinking, your life will run helter-skelter and you'll have nothing but massive negatives to be confronted with. I'd like to close with that 19th verse tonight. Wouldn't hurt you to read the fourth chapter sometime this week. Boy, because in it, in verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content is a lot of baloney. You're all negative. You want to be content being negative? 
You're sicker than a dog. You want to be content being sicker than a dog? That contradicts what we just read previously. The text reads, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, I am self-adequate. Or as one translator puts it, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. That's beautiful. The reason I'm self-adequate is not because of myself, but because of the Christ in me. And boy, in that same chapter is that verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, our believing has to be in God, in the Lord, and what he has supplied. That's why verse 19, my God shall supply all your need. Doesn't say greed, but he'll supply our need. According to his riches in glory, by whom? Now class, either lied or he told the truth. That's how simple this word is. He will supply all of our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now not automatically, not without applying the principles of the word, but when we apply the principles of the word, we have the word's fulfillment and God's guarantee that he will supply every need, all our need, according to his riches. Not his poverty, but according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I don't know any better way to teach it to you people. I don't know the word any better. How to share that word any better with our people than like I do tonight again. To, to get people out of that negative, out of that fear state, into the believing of the greatness of God's word. I don't know any better way to teach it. It's either God's word or it isn't. Then just why can't we come and take a stand and declare God's word and say what it says if it never comes past? It'll come. But you've got to get a commitment in your life that this is just not a bunch of words. That these are not just statements that work for one person, let's say. You have to be absolutely convinced that the word of God is the will of God. That this word of God is as living tonight as it was the first time it was ever spoken. And that is truth. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no variableness, neither shadow of turning with him. There are just hundreds of promises like that in God's word. That's why I'm thankful for this ministry, people. Thankful for this ministry that's built upon the word. It's a lot deeper than psychiatry or psychology. It's a lot deeper than how to win friends and influence people. It is a lot deeper than any sense knowledge thing that man does. It is built upon the integrity and the accuracy of God's wonderful matchless word. That's why you can go out this week and just expect God's best. Because you are God's best spiritually. Now you just believe that and you prove that in your walk. 
then you manifest it, and then you can just joy and rejoice in the Lord. Be anxious for nothing. Be strong in the Lord. He'll supply all of our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. People, it's got to be a wonderful week when we believe that. It's got to be a wonderful night to begin with. Got to be a wonderful day tomorrow. Got to be a wonderful Tuesday. Right, because it is God's word. Okay? Father, I thank you for the greatness of your love and your mercy and your grace and goodness. Thank you for your presence here among us tonight and our people and the outreach of your word around the world. Thank you for our guests that are in here tonight from across the country. To be a part of this ministry and of this life here at International, but also out in the areas that they represent. Thank you for the inspiration and the dynamic for living that lives here. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and your peace. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.